0: Welcome to my cancer story podcast. I'm Jessica. I'm your host. And I'm so excited to share this newest interview with you today. I'm interviewing Caroline Rose. She is a survivor of stage four non-Hodgkin's lymphoma. She has this incredible story with an amazing message. And I really hope you guys enjoy it. A few notes. uh, She had a pug just have a little surgery. So the pug named Axel Rose is laying in her lap and he falls asleep and snores a little bit. So you'll be able to hear that, but it's adorable. Um, there may be a few other uh, glitches in the interview, a little bit of echoiness as well, uh, just because it's over Zoom. You know, this is the world we're living in right now with the pandemic. And plus she lives in Texas and I live in California. So I really hope you guys enjoyed this interview and stay tuned to the end. I have a few announcements. But um I don't I don't know, you wanna you wanna get started? Yeah,
1: let's All do it. Right. I, I I
0: must say though, like I was um the last like week or so, especially the last couple of days, I was I was looking at your website and I started reading your your blog and um like <laughs> I was we were watching football last night and I started crying. <laughs> my husband was like, Are you okay? I'm like, I'm just reading a blog. But oh my gosh. Your 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 writing is Amazing. So I I just want to say like doing a little bit of research before this talk, it was, it was awesome to, to learn more about you and and to just kind of like read your inner thoughts and and your feelings and the process and everything like that. Like not everybody is that open and shares that part of them. So that's really, really cool. I I love what you're doing.
1: I really appreciate that. It kind of shocks the hell out of me sometimes because I was so left brain for so much of my life. Mm-hmm. Even now, when I sit down to write, a lot of times I don't know what I'm going to say. Actually, most times I don't know what I'm going to say. Mm-hmm. And then it'll sort of come out. And I feel like it's this, like, I don't even know, like, it like something takes over my body and I write these words. And then afterwards I go back and read them and I'm like, yeah, I guess that is really how I feel. But I don't know if I could have vocalized it as yeah. well as I can write it. Yeah. And, and it's kind of exhausting in the best way because I write it and it takes it out of me. Um, because it just, you know, you process all this stuff and there's so much to mm-hmm. process in life right now. And, um, so I have to really sort of set chunks of time aside when I do it. Cause I know it's, I'm going to have to really, I'm going to have to go there wherever that place is yeah. on that day, you know, and It's always different and I use my dogs for a lot of the content because my kids are getting to the age where I don't always want to share stuff about them because I don't know if they really want that out there, you know, and um, that the dogs are always good material. Always, always, always. Absolutely.
0: I'm a sucker for animals, especially dogs. (laughs) Like anything about dogs especially like the stories that you were telling it was just like tear jerking and just it, yeah. it warms your heart and it fills your heart up and something just about like the un like undeniable love of a dog like they just yes no matter what
1: no love you it. yeah it's just it's unconditional and uh-huh. really, you know i think for me i realized that the animal is like I, I think humans are complicated and we're layered and we're always in our heads with each other mm-hmm. sometimes and with an animal, you know, you don't have to be on, you don't have to be talkative. You don't have to be, um, feeling great or strong. You could be mm-hmm. in bed all day, you know, mm-hmm. as long as you take them to the bathroom and feed them and give them what they are so happy, they're content. Yeah. And yeah, I think it's just like a break for us to just feel that unconditional uncomplicated love. Mm-hmm. And it's, um, it sort of carries you. I think a lot of times when you're feeling emotionally down, physically down, whatever it may be. Yeah. Um, and you know what? With kids, there's so much pressure. Like, I don't want to fuck my kids up. I can <laughs> I can, you know, like I can feel them. they can be horrific. They can have horrible manners. It doesn't yeah. matter as much. Mm-hmm. There's not mm-hmm. the pressure of, mm-hmm. you know, Oh my God, they're not going to have manners when they grow up or they're going to have this or that, or what am I doing? You know? Yeah. Yeah. And it's, just nice. it's just a nice break. That is nice. Yeah. yeah.
0: Definitely a lot, a lot less pressure.
1: Yeah, so much less.
0: Yeah. We, we have a dog and a cat and uh, we don't have any kids, but so like, I, I constantly think about that. I was just like, man, just like the littlest thing. Like, what if you like screw up a kid? Like I was like the, the dog and the cat, like they're cool. They're they can basically handle themselves, right. <laughs> but
1: I, I well, just that's like, that's the thing that scares me. Yeah. Yeah. And I think like, taking it a step further for me, I had my soulmate dog, Riley, Riley. Mm -hmm. who unfortunately passed three, three and a half years ago, but he, um, you know, he came into my life at a very, uh, really at this perfect time. Mm -hmm. And I think he saw me through, you know, most of my treatments saw me through the kids. He, he was there for all of it. And I think, um, you know, with the kids, they found so much comfort in Rye, and he just sort of, um, it's that connection that heals, because we give so much of ourselves to relationships, whether it be our friends, our family, our husbands, whatever it is, Mm -hmm. and um, that was the one relationship in my life that gave, it just gave back. It just seemed to keep giving back, and it just kept me in the moment, and out of my head with the fear and anxiety and all this stuff, you know, cause he was just in that moment right there. He was good.
0: Mm-hmm. And,
1: um, it was, it was what I needed without even knowing it. And that, you know, animals are just so healing. They are yeah. so healing.
0: Yeah. Uh, a lot of the times we, my friends and I say like, we just, we don't deserve their love. Like it's just, it's, yeah. it's crazy. The amount of love that they give It's just animals are incredible. They are. Um, it's it's yeah. a blessing throughout life.
1: It's true. I and mean, especially the rescues, Riley was a rescue. And, yeah. You know, ours a is lot too. of the rescues will come to us and we don't necessarily know their past, but we know it was pretty, pretty bad. What yeah. You know, Riley, we, we ended up on a very, very random run in years later, found a lady who did know Rye and told us his past, but we didn't oh, know for oh, a long wow. time. And he, we knew he'd been... Just, I mean, he had burn marks all over his body. You could see his ribs. He was a great Dane lab mix. He was beautiful. He was was so pretty. And we brought him home and he literally, literally stayed in the corner for two weeks. Didn't come out. Didn't, he was never, um, you know, he had every reason to be angry or violent, but he he was just scared. And after two weeks, he sort of came out of his corner. And that was sort of when it clicked. And I, I really thought a lot later in life, I thought if he, if Riley can trust again, if after mm-hmm. everything he went through, which I can't even begin to imagine, mm-hmm. if he can trust and he can put his heart back on the line, you know, maybe it's safe for me to do the same. Because I think along the way, I started losing trust in life a little bit. I think mm-hmm. just with, you know, um, a, a cancer diagnosis and then having it come back again and having it come back again, it's sort of, I I didn't feel safe to trust. Mm -hmm. And then Riley really, really helped me um, find that inspiration and strength to, to trust in really whatever's going to happen and it's going to be okay. Yeah. Dogs.
0: Well, that's like actually, the (laughs) was like. We ours is oh. a rescue too. I ask him all the time. I'm like, what was your life like before? <laughs> like I just I just yeah. want to know. But <laughs> this I is know. kind of it is kind of fun to try to guess. Like, yeah. oh,
1: you know, yeah. maybe you don't like umbrellas. Yeah. Well, I guess.
0: <laughs> you know. It's just funny. Like we tell a story for him yeah. sometimes. So we're just we're so happy we have him. He's an older dog, he's the best. So oh, we yeah. absolutely adore him. Um, but this is kind of like the perfect segue. So um just do a quick introduction. Uh, today, I have Caroline Rose with me. Um, she is the creator and the writer of Dear Riley Rose and also um, a cancer survivor and fighter of a rare stage four non-Hodgkin's
1: lymphoma. That's
0: right. Okay. I got that right. Okay.
1: Yeah.
0: And um it, she reached out to me probably a month or two ago, and we've been corresponding, and I, I'm, I feel so lucky that you, you found me, the site, the podcast, and um, yeah. I'm just honored that you wanted to come on and speak, especially after seeing your website and all the speaking engagements that you've done and how, how inspirational you are for uh, cancer survivors and, and cancer fighters and families out there. So welcome. Thank you so much for Thank being you. here. Yeah. Thank you for having me. Yeah. So, um, we kind of went off on a tangent earlier, which I love though. It's kind of just a little I, bit you know, more natural, <laughs> a little less stiff. <laughs> more to come. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So from here, um, I'll just kind of let you tell like a little bit about um, your story. Like I, I read your, your intro on your, um, your website, just kind of mm-hmm. how you found your cancer, how you're diagnosed and a, a little bit of the journey and we'll kind of just go from there.
1: Yeah, sure. Of course. Um, well it was in 2004, and I was 27. I was um, living in Los Angeles. I was in med school at USC. And at the time, I, I um, you know, I really i was in the very best shape of my life. Uh, hands down, no doubt about it. I was a big marathon runner. So I just ran my seventh marathon. I think I ran three that year I was diagnosed. I think I did Boston in April, New York in November. Is that right? Oh, I guess two years. And then San Diego was in um, June. I think that was right. Yeah. And then we also, my husband and I started getting into triathlons. So we just completed the LA triathlon, which was our third Olympic distance, I want to say. And so I, my life was just very structured. I loved control and I loved to have my every minute of every day kind of mapped out and um, you know, regimented, and I studied hard, I ran hard, I, I was not a lot of fun to be around, I'll say that. <laughs> um, but, you know, so my brother is a big mountain climber. And he had come to me and said, Hey, do you want to climb Mount Kilimanjaro in Africa with me over Christmas? And I thought, yeah, that's amazing. So he said, Look, you've got the endurance, but you've got to work on your strength. So I found a guy, worked with him, you know, lifting weights. He gave me a big 45-pound weighted vest and said, you need to go do the Santa Monica stairs, you know, up and down 10 times, then go 12 times, then go. And that's what I did. You know, I loved to take directions, and I loved to, you know, it was very, very type A. And so in those, I guess that probably three months, I had really been working on the strength. And I definitely, in retrospect, my neck was was really, I mean – it, it was bigger and I thought that is so cool that the muscle comes on that fast. And I remember putting on deodorant and feeling big lumps. Mm-hmm. But again, it just so perfectly coincided with the training. With
0: being sore, yeah. Oh
1: yeah, it was like a no-brainer. Like I was proud of this. And so I never ever ever had one symptom. You know, I mean never and and I wish I had because I think it really scares people and it scares me that there were, there really were no warning signs other than the physical appearance changing. Um, so a month before Africa, my brother and I um, came back to our hometown of San Antonio and my dad is a doctor in San Antonio. And so he had set up the blood work, um, the pre-Africa blood work, vaccinations, all that went in did the blood work. My dad calls and said, Hey, there was this mistake. There's your platelets are at a life threatening level. I know that's not right. Come back and we're going to redo it. So I went back, redid it. And my dad growing up, I mean, my brother and I talked a lot about this. We cannot remember a time he has ever canceled a surgery ever. He's a brain surgeon and he just, he doesn't cancel. He just does. There's nothing in the world that would make him cancel a surgery. And he called me and said, "Uh, do not go to get the vaccinations. You are actually going to go meet Dr. So-and-so who's a hematologist. And I canceled my surgery and I'm meeting you there. And that is when I was like, oh, this is, this is not good. So we went, I met my dad and the hematologist, the trained eye looked at my neck and he said, how long have those lumps been in your neck? And I thought, Oh, thank you. I mean, really, I was, I was, you know, I was taking it as, yeah, exactly. patting myself on the, like, this is, thank you so much. But, but um, he spent about two and a half minutes examining me. That's all it took. And he asked me to come across the hall. My parents were there and he said, this could be a virus, but I really strongly believe this is lymphoma. And my dad started crying. I think I'd only ever seen him cry once before when he lost his mom and I didn't know what lymphoma was. I just, I didn't I just wasn't sure. And, you know, he kind of said cancer, blah, blah, blah. And, and I think a lot of people feel this when they're first diagnosed, you're like, no, it's not, you know, there's no way. And so the next morning we had a lymph node removed. It came back that afternoon. Um, You know, yes, it was a non-Hodgkin's lymphoma, um, I think it was a B B cell follicular. It had a long, longer name that was very unimportant to me at the time. I just thought, you know, I don't, I can't even process this. I mean, I think a lot of, you know, people relate to that. And so we went through Thanksgiving a couple days, went to MD Anderson the next week, took a week to do all the stage testing um, and met with the doctor. And she said, uh, she said, it's everywhere. She said, it's stage four, it's in your stomach, your spleen, your bone marrow. And I think I asked her, in fact, I'm sure I asked her, um, will this interfere with my finals for med school? Because I was, it was coming, you know, finals were the first two weeks of December. Mm-hmm. And I remember my dad again looked at me and he said, you're not going back. And she wanted to start chemo the next day because I guess it was a very fast growing, very aggressive uh form of lymphoma. And so they didn't even want to wait a day or two or three. So we started right away. And I should also say, when I was first diagnosed in that appointment, she said, we can, we can treat you, but we cannot cure you. Your cancer does not have a cure. And I thought, I kind of processed all this and kind of was, it was all sinking in, you know, and it took a while, like I had to get home and I had to really kind of process all this. And I thought, all right, so I'm getting ready to battle a cancer that doesn't have a cure, that they can treat, but they can't cure. The goal is to get into remission to then what, wait for it to come back again. Like this was a very hard thing for me because again, at the time, I was so driven. I was so type A. I wanted a goal. I wanted to achieve it. And I wanted to move on, you know, and this felt, I felt so out of control. I felt so just overwhelmed and lost. And I think that night I really was struggling. And I, I went into, a, a we were at my aunt and uncle's house in Houston and I went into one of the, their bedrooms and I just sat in the corner and I just broke down. So I didn't want anyone to see me breaking down. because I still wanted to be strong for everybody. And My uncle came in and he said, you know, at the time he was involved with MD Anderson, he said, I've just been in meetings, you know, this week, last week with these doctors, these top researchers, and there's so much research happening. There's so many drugs being worked on, developed, you know. You cannot think of this as, well, I can't find a cure, so what's the point? You've got to look at this as you do the best option available to you right now. You do whatever you have to do to live another day Live five more minutes. Just get through by time, because then when your cancer does come back, when you do need another treatment, chances are really high. Another treatment would be available. And that made sense to me. I thought, all right, I can do that. I can buy time. And so that's what I did. And I got through those eight rounds of chemo, went into remission. And my husband and I then got married moved to Santa Monica. And that's when I found Riley. Cause I was in this weird place of, I know I can't go back to school. I don't think I could go back to work because I'm just waiting. And I wanted it to come back because I was ready to do the bone marrow transplant, which may be curative, may not, they weren't sure, but it was, it was our best shot. And I thought, let's do this. Like let's do this now so I can get back to a life, you know, so that's when I found Riley and he really became my, my life, my project, my, my job was rehabilitating him, You know, helping him walk again, helping the muscles strengthen, You know, took him to the beach and the ocean and threw balls into the waves until his legs were strong enough that he could walk. And then we went to the dog park and then he started running and, and that's what we did. Yeah. And then it, the cancer came back um, about five months, after we got married, five or six months after we got married and after we found Rye. So we went to Houston again. I did my first bone marrow transplant. That was, it was very difficult. I mean, it was not an easy treatment. I was inpatient for about a month and then you you stay close to the hospital and come in every day for about two, three, four months. And I really thought at the end of that, I really believed that was it because I did the transplant. It was a success. Um, you know, I left Houston really not taking a ton of medication. I was weak, but I knew I knew I could kind of rebuild my strength and, and regain a good life, a good quality of life. Mm-hmm. So we went back to Los Angeles. And right after my husband and I had gotten married, we froze our embryos because we'd been told that fertility post-transplant it was gonna be really difficult and we didn't really have time to, to plan for that I think because it was all moving so fast and so we froze embryos and we just didn't know the quality of them but it was the best we could do so we froze them so when I did my bone marrow transplant we knew we already had those embryos frozen so a couple of months after we came back to Los Angeles we transferred an embryo. And that was my, our daughter, mm-hmm. the first one took, and that was her. That's and amazing. I mean, it was, was amazing. I mean, it was truly amazing. Oh my God. And then, um, they, they had told me a natural pregnancy was pretty much impossible mm-hmm. and it shocked the hell out of us. But then my son was actually a natural pregnancy and he was born to almost two years to the day after my daughter was born. And so everyone was just, I mean, every doctor, every person, of course, I was terrified that he was not going to be healthy because he'd been exposed to all that chemo during the transplant and I mean, healthy as can be. And so, yeah, that was, that was a big one for us. But I think that, um, I always say that's kind of my backstory and then my real story starts when Tommy, my son was five weeks and my daughter Ellie was, she was two because I, you know, just had a baby and I was sort of just in that, that phase of life where it just, you're kind of like, what is going on? And you've got these kids and, and uh, my stomach was sort of starting to go back to normal. And I remember one day I just looked in the mirror and I saw these two huge lumps sort of down, like in the groin area. And I thought, oh, my God. And I knew exactly by that. By that point, I knew exactly what it was. And I emailed my doctor with the red urgent flag, you know, and he said, come straight out. was it City of Hope, followed me in Los Angeles. And yes. they did a CT scan. Yes. And sure enough, like, it had um, wrapped around my spine during the pregnancy. So the back pain that I, you know, naturally attributed to the pregnancy was actually yeah. the the cancer. So... Long story short, we, we ended up going straight into some pr- really intensive chemo at City of Hope for about six months. And then um, I had, I think I had double pneumonia at the time. And we had to get, I think they had to send a plane to get us from City of Hope to MD Anderson. Because during this time, my doctor at MD Anderson called and said, you're never going to believe this. But there is a new clinical trial out that is so promising and this is brand new and it's exactly what my uncle had predicted oh, so you know? uncle. And, oh my god i mean it is exactly and it took a couple years but i mean he said there's 68 people and i can get you in your number 66 and i said let's do it and it was risky as hell i think there was a 40 percent mortality rate but of those of us that got through it and that was by the way that was the hardest thing i've ever done in my life just the chemo was so, so different, so much stronger, so much more chemo, such a longer length of time. I was in the hospital almost two months and, you know, through all of this, it's, I know my kids are at home and I know other people are raising them and I, but I I, I couldn't, you know, it's just, you know, you really had to go into this mode of just self-care and self-preservation. And it came with a ton of guilt. It came with a ton of just, feeling like a really horrible mom, horrible wife, horrible friend, you know, all of it. And even though logically, you know, you're not, you still feel it. And I think that was a really, that was the hardest part for me, the emotional toll, I think. Um, But we got through it that was uh, 10, this past July was 10 years. So it's been 10 years and I've been in remission ever since. Congratulations. Well, thanks. Thank you.
0: Incredible. Like that's yeah, and that's
1: really the great thing about
0: technology and, and science and and the medical w- the world it's it's constantly changing constantly evolving mm-hmm. there's always research and yeah. I, your your uncle like that's the best thing he could have said to you especially being that's of a logical brain you're like i need yeah. a goal and i need to get there and that, yeah. that's what it was like
1: just get there a couple more years and that will be yeah. better and right uh, it really was that you know taking it um taking it down to these tangible, um, things that you can, you, you're like, okay, that I can do that. I can, I can, it just makes sense. And I think through, um, the, a lot of the speaking I've done, you know, depending on the audience and the topic, I've told some different stories, but the one that I have found really resonates. And now I kind of try to include it was there was at one point in my second transplant, there was a moment where it was one of my last chemo days and they bring the chemo in about four or four thirty in the morning. And it was the day that I, I really said I was done. I didn't, I told it was nurse. Jan was the nurse's name. And I told Jan, I said, I don't, I don't want it. Please leave. I'm done. I'm done. And I knew what I was giving up. I knew the kids. I knew Riley. I knew my husband. I knew all of that but it's like, it wasn't enough. It just, it was, it'd been such a fight and such a struggle. And I was just, I couldn't, I couldn't do it anymore. And you know, my husband's there begging and please, please. And I remember Jan sat down and she looked at me and she said, okay, I get it. I get it. But can you just give me five minutes? Can you give me five minutes? And she said, if you can squeeze my hand. And so I could do that. So I squeezed her hand, which gave her time to hang the chemo and fix the IV pole and all that. And then she looked at me and she said, can you give me five more? And I was like, yeah, I can give you five more. And so that's sort of what happened. It just went five minute intervals and we got through it. And obviously, you know, we kept getting through it, but I keep going back to that so many times I even use it with my kids. Like they come home upset or what I'm like, I get you're upset. I really do see that. Is this going to be a big deal in five minutes? It, it might be, yeah. Okay. Is it gonna be a big deal in, you know, five hours, five days, five, you know, and you kind of keep expanding that out and it's like, oh, I guess it really won't matter in five hours because I'm already gonna be at so and so's house and all forgotten about it. And it's like, all right, well then that puts it all in perspective and this manageable thing that that uh I've found applies to most most everything in life.
0: Yeah. Small goals because you know, Small goals. a big goal or like something big in front of you is extremely daunting. But if you can break it up yeah. into little nuggets, then it's like, okay, right. let's do that.
1: I can do exactly. that. Exactly. Yeah.
0: Exactly. <clears throat> yeah. I read the, um, you had that story on your website in the about me section. And that was the first part that I started crying. I, that, it was beautiful. Yeah. Like you talking yeah. about Riley and dog equals God. And yeah, yeah that's. It, that was a beautiful story. And I'm glad you include that in, in, in your talks because it, it really does re- resonate. Yeah.
1: It does. And I think the other thing that, um, that I, I, I kind of tap onto that is I've had a few people sort of after talking about that or reading it or hearing it kind of come to me and they're like, gosh, like you're a hero. And I'm like, oh, no, 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 no. No, I'm not. And I'm not just being humble or whatever it is. I was not heroic. I made a choice you know i made a choice to go five more minutes and then i made a choice to go five more minutes and we all make choices every day and life is hard life is a struggle for all of us you know we have different struggles but these are real struggles and we all have a choice how we're going to do it and how we're going to handle it and i think that is um i think Jan was the hero, but for me, it, all I did was make a choice. And I don't even know why I made that choice because I know I wasn't doing it for anyone else. Cause I couldn't anymore. Yeah, And I think, I think we all have that power. In fact, I know we all have that power. Mm-hmm. Absolutely.
0: Um, talking about like, you know, uh, your husband, your, your kids, your, your dog, and like, even like, uh, your, your, your family, your, your brother and your parents mm-hmm. and everything like that, mm-hmm. you, you kind of touched a little bit on it. Um, how did fighting cancer and going through chemo and, and that trial and everything, how did that affect, um, I guess in your eyes, the the impact of your family and, and your relationships? Yeah. Um, like during and after, like, do you,
1: do you still like feel an effect of that or? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, absolutely 1000%. I think what I think for me that um, I think it had a different impact on every relationship. I think that my brother and I, we were close growing up, we weren't super, super close. But I knew he was my older brother. And I knew what I did know is that he was always there for me, he would always be there for me. That's what I knew of our relationship, even though, you know. We fought and all of that. Well, when we found out that I needed a bone marrow transplant, they tested my family and my brother turned out to be a perfect match. So he was my donor for both transplants. And the wild thing is we actually have different blood types. So when I had the first transplant, I didn't convert all the way to my brother. So I had half of, well, a little, it kind of stabilized at like 60 40 of his cells. Versus mine. And so we had a mix, I had a mixed blood type, which was wild. And uh, they, uh, sorry, can we jog for it? That's okay. Uh, here, yeah. I'm sorry. That's okay. Um, but uh, I think for my brother, I think having that, it bonded us in this way that is so almost unexplainable. Like he literally saved my life. And he's not married, he doesn't have children of his own but he looks at my kids like his kids because he doesn't want credit and he doesn't want all the thanks but he kind of knows and my kids know that Uncle Chad saved mom's life you know they know in a simplistic hopefully not too scary way and they love my brother and I don't know if it would be that deep had we not had that Mm -hmm. now I think the other relationships in my life I think, um. I think that I very much worried with my parents that they were so worried about me. I really worried. I didn't want them to worry. And so I really tried and still do try to be strong. And I try to not let them know if I don't feel great or I try to not worry them really. So I've kind of found myself a little bit more closed down and shut off because I just want to put on a smile because i put them through so much worry. Um, and that's on me. I think they, I think I used to be the kid they didn't have to worry about and the one that was going to go do big things. And I, I think in a way I felt disappointed them, you know, so I just, I don't want to disappoint them anymore. And again, I know all that, you know, in your mind, <laughs> you know, you can talk yourself off of it. Yeah, you're maybe. like,
0: I know it's ridiculous, but <laughs> mm-hmm.
1: And then I think, I think the most interesting has been with my husband and we joke about it a lot, but it's still kind of this interesting dynamic. When we met, he was just the life of the party. Everyone loved him. And my friend said, he's never going to settle down. He's never going to be serious. Like he's so smart and has so much potential, but he just loves life. You know, he loves just I could never get him to commit to anything, you know, not even like dinner in an hour. He's like, I don't know. I don't know what I'm going to be doing. And you know, here we are, we just had our 15th wedding anniversary oh, congrats. and he is, he is the one now who's scheduled and who handles a lot of the, the finances the the house stuff that we just, we just totally flip-flopped roles. And he'll say to me, Hey, do you want to go to dinner tonight? And I'm. Like, I don't know. I don't know how I'm going to be feeling, you know. And so we really have had to flip flop that. Yeah. And I think he has told me that that in the past he felt so out of control. I think watching me go through um, treatment, that I think he just really just, you know, unintentionally and tried to control what he could control. Mm-hmm. And so you know he created a financial spreadsheet because that he could see. You know he. Scheduling appointments he can check. So I think he really needs that. Whereas I used to and don't anymore. So it's a very odd flip-flop. And the people that knew us back in the day and see us today, all we they, oh my gosh, we just can't believe you two. Like, <laughs> what happened to y'all? Y'all just flopped, you know. But it real I understand why. Um, but it it became uh, you know, he sort of became my caretaker literally, like even still. And, um, we just try to balance all that to not have it be too much of a, him taking care of me. Cause I don't think that's very healthy for a relationship. Yeah.
0: How, um, cause I'm, I literally last week just realized how much, even though like Thyroid cancer like is so easily treatable and everything like that. I didn't realize how much it affected my husband. Like yeah. in in my brain, I was like, I got this. It's fine. Like it's going to get taken care of. Like we're going to do everything we can and you know yeah. take the thyroid out and all these things. And like it was kind of it was a quick process. So like for me, mm-hmm. it was, I barely I barely had a chance to process it. I didn't I had no idea that it affected my husband so much and like last week he actually I'd never seen him cry before and he cried sorry honey if anybody's oh, listening to this but I, oh. I was just like, oh my god I had no idea and yeah. did did your did your husband yeah. do any like sort of um i guess uh, going to talk to somebody or was that something that you guys worked with together or
1: mm-hmm. I think that let me try to remember I feel like we went together. I think I've I've been in therapy, I can't remember when I started really, I think after I was diagnosed, I want to say maybe around after the second, maybe after the first transplant, I think I was really kind of regularly in therapy. Mm -hmm. And I think that's when we started seeing someone together because I think in retrospect, we were both struggling with this role reversal, but we weren't aware of it yet. And I had been really unaware of the impact it had on on him because I was so consumed with myself and my own healing and and health and all of that, that I didn't mean to not realize, but I, I didn't. And he didn't want to be weak around me because he didn't want me to worry. And so we had this, um, it, 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 we had to sort of stabilize in life before we could really open up about it to each other and feel safe doing it, where we wouldn't rock the other person to the core or make them feel guilty or like they'd done anything wrong, you know. And then I think um maybe after the second transplant, at some point we started going individually. And I thought that was actually the coolest shift I saw because um, I think we each had a person that was a safe person that we could really, sometimes, sometimes I don't like to admit what I'm wrong. Okay. I don't, I, I do not like to admit that <laughs> wrong. I really, that's a process something I'm working on. And I, I really have a hard time admitting when I'm wrong with my husband. So in my individual therapy, I can really dive into that. Like, why can't I just tell him that I was wrong, you know? And, and, then I can sort of take that and go back into our relationship, and in my mind, I'm like, okay, I see it coming. I was wrong, I'm mean, gonna tell him I was wrong. So here's what you know, and vice versa. I think he had things, um, you know. I think we both had a lot from childhood, and I think we both had a lot through um, all the cancer, and and it really gave us these tools to work through this res- this resolution um, because it changes you. I mean, this these diagnoses these these huge health issue, they, they change you and you almost have to really relearn who the new, the other person is on the other side, you know, and if you're not growing and if it doesn't change you, I don't, I I think it's okay that you change, but you just have to make sure that whoever's in your life that you want to keep in your life, you know, that y'all stay on that same path, even if you're both changing, you just don't want to go apart. You want to just keep Staying together, um, and I think being really open and honest about the changing, and maybe your priorities change. Maybe you know your hopes and dreams, and where you saw yourself in the future, um, and that can be scary. You know, I have a very hard time saving for retirement. My husband works in finance for a living and, and <laughs> really loves a good retirement plan. And yeah, he yeah. Loves, like putting all that there, and and I. I mean, he knows this. I say it to him all the time. I say, I don't think I'm going to be here for retirement and I'm not being negative and I'm not being um, morbid or overly dramatic. I just, I know what I, my has had and I know the treatment. And I know I've had 186 full body CT scans. I know the amount of radiation I've had. The chances are really high that, that, something will come up and I will have a shortened lifespan. So it's hard for me to take that, you know, let's say $100 and put it in a retirement account for this delayed gratification way in the future that's totally uncertain versus but we can use that and, and take a trip, go to dinner, whatever it is, and have a family memory made now and I'm here and I'm healthy and I'm good. So let's do that now. So that is really our struggle is balancing that living in the moment, you know, which sounds so awesome and glamorous. Oh, you know, yes. Like live like you were dying. How awesome would that be? Mm -hmm. Well, but we still have responsibilities and bills and kids and I still have a schedule. I got to get them to school. I can't just say, Hey family, we're going to go. fly to Disneyland today. (laughs) And actually I did more when they were younger, but you know, you have to balance that. And Mm -hmm. so, um, with his increased need for control because of what he has felt so out of control in terms of my health, with my increased, um, you know, deep desire to really do things now and create memories now, that's really where we have tried to work to find a common ground. Yeah.
0: That's, that's gotta be a difficult, um, fine line to to dance on mm-hmm. just because I, I did I haven't read it yet but I did see you had a blog post about that so mm-hmm. I, I'm looking forward to reading more about that just because like like you're saying you're being realistic but yeah. you're not trying to be morbid so right it's that's a it's a fine line but yeah
1: it is <laughs> a, and I think a lot of us walk it you mm-hmm. know think, mm-hmm. uh it's true that anyone can have god forbid a horrible accident today or you know but but i think when um i think when anyone has personally received or has a loved one who's received any sort of life-changing news and your life literally has changed in a second i think we're all um i think it's a gift in a lot of ways i think we appreciate things i think our priorities change you know A lot of people say it and it's true. I mean, I don't know if I would take any of it back. You know, the, 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 as hard as it's all been, it's been so beautiful at the same time, Mm -hmm. but I think it's just the way we view life and I think see life and it is not a guarantee. You know, it's not, I don't feel robbed of, you know, the years that I may not live. I feel more grateful to live the years and the days that I had been able to. And so it's sort of that reverse um, viewpoint in a way Mm -hmm. that I think you either sort of understand that and can really feel it or you're not quite there. And either way, it's, it's okay. It's just, it's a nice thing when you get to the point of feeling really grateful every day because you're here. Yeah. We're all here.
0: Yeah. And I think that's kind of too, like, although how, shitty 2020 has been the 2020 has been an, an interesting blessing for everybody. It's it's definitely made them slow down. Mm-hmm. Um, everybody appreciate what, you know, a day-to-day basis, like the yeah. what they have in their lives, their blessings and everything like that. And it's just really, I think it's forced a lot of people to change their perspective on yeah. life and like what's important to them. And it's just like that's just like a little, little nugget of what somebody with um, a terminal illness has or mm-hmm. a cancer diagnosis has. And it's just like it really makes you appreciate what you've got going and how are you gonna take advantage of of life, especially right. when things open back up. Like Right.
1: I'm so ready to travel. Right. I know, I know. <laughs> and I think that it's kind of um been a, a I've compared quarantine a lot to like when I went through the transplant, you know, it's like everyone's wearing a mask. Oh my God, the mask and glove. you know, <laughs> or oh, you know, stay away from people, stay away from germs, you know, and and So it's, it's, it's almost where I'm like, Oh, now y'all see what it was (laughs) like. But I think that, um, you know, we all had the world turned upside down and it was Mm -hmm. scary and we didn't know what was going on. And now, you know, here we are. I think it's been really cool to hear. Um, I mean, it's taken this time for all of us to get a little perspective, like, Mm -hmm. Oh, the things we miss, like, we are never going to say like oh, I can't believe I have to go on that trip. Like, we're yeah. so excited. And yeah. and it's almost this collective appreciation that the world has now. You mm-hmm. know, it's not just certain people that have had certain experiences. We have all been in this together. Yeah, And I, I hope, I really believe and hope that that, that is the good that's going to come out of this for all of us, you know? Yeah. And um, I think as much tragedy and suffering and pain and, and loss of life that there has been, mm-hmm. I would have to think if, if I had, if I'd been in that position where I had really suffered a personal tragedy through all this, I would want it to count for something, you know, I would want it to be, I would want to make some sort of fucked up sense over the death or the loss or the sickness or whatever they may have experienced with, with COVID and all of it. And I would maybe hope that if the world emerges as a, kinder or more accepting or loving or appreciative place that that's that's something yeah at least that's something yeah me
0: too i i hope i hope that for the world too it's been especially in the united states it's been a very tumultuous time and Mm -hmm. um you know like you, you hoping for the best of you know people learning and and being a little bit more gracious and kind and patient and yes um, I, th- yeah. I think for the most part, a lot of good has happened, um, but you know, I, th- I think we have a long way to go. But we do. It's we it's, it's a, it's a process. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But um, so I guess like going going forward with like being ten years in remission, um, mm-hmm. being more of like a type A logical um, person, mm-hmm. going into writing and creativity. Like, how did that evolve? Like, how did oh you just goodness. like start writing and in? Like speaking yeah. and, and just being yeah. so like, beautifully eloquent in your, in your writings. You. You're welcome.
1: I, you know, um, I, it, I, I, swear it was all, it was all Riley. Um, through him, we started going to the Brentwood dog park years ago Yeah, and That's I nice. met with super nice. friend Oh, is exactly. that, yeah. Oh, well, Brentwood's so nice. <laughs>
0: they used to be part of the It's,
1: it's so nice. We lived in this little, park. yeah, it was, oh, it's just beautiful. And we met, this is very Motley crew. I mean, we came from all walks of life, but we all met there at 7 a.m. every single morning. And we really got to be close. And one of those um, ended up, we just really stayed to be very close. And she is a writer. Her husband's a writer. And she's now sort of evolved into um, like a life coach slash writing coach. She edits things. So she would hold retreats and she would, she was my friend who really taught me the art of going deep in a conversation and not staying on the surface and the beauty that you can find in people when you really ask the right questions and you really um, listen, you know, you really listen to what. Their answer is, and try to understand their point of view. So I really, I just loved her, and I started writing because she asked me to write some things down. and And I don't like to journal, and I didn't like it, and she knew it, but I did a little bit. And one day I wrote a letter to Riley, and he was still alive. And she read it, and she she called me, and she was just she was really emotional, and she said that was that was something. And I'm telling you, you, you need to write this, whatever this is. And this, it turned into be a book and it took about a year, Um, but it's one long love letter to Riley. And it's sort of, Riley was there through so much, so much, you know, monumental stuff, like the big stuff. He was there and he was that silent strength and silent supporter. And so in my talking to him, it was so truthful and so honest because I never worried about saying anything that would hurt his feelings Mm -hmm. if I was talking to someone else or just writing in general. I was always so aware of like, you know, how it was going to be perceived or whatever it was. And so I think through that and through writing it and finding how therapeutic it was for me and how much it helped me process everything and make sense of everything um it was scary and emotional and difficult that it was the coolest thing to see it shocks the hell out of me i'm telling you because i was never ever going to be a writer but i really loved it and then i realized um, you know, you hear people say, like, if I'm not creating, I go crazy. And I'm like, oh, come on. And now I'm like, oh, how to go right, you know. And, and so it sort of turned into this. And it sort of, um, the speaking came, um, I think I started speaking for City of Hope. Um, and they, then it sort of just grew from there. Then it, the events became larger. And the people I met would then contact me. And it just sort of took off. From that, and, I, and that's I just love that. That I do miss during COVID. I miss going and being in front of people in a room, and you know the energy and seeing the emotion and talking to people. I, that I really do miss. Um, but I think through the speaking, I realized.
0: You know, someone asked me
1: recently, "How did you land on the message of hope?" And I said, "Well, I didn't. I never. That was never what I thought my message was, but." After I would speak, what I realized was the common theme when people came up to me afterwards was, you gave us hope, you gave us hope, that story gave us hope, or whatever it was, and I thought, it's pretty cool, you know, and it just sort of kept, and I thought, okay, I've got to listen to that, and I've got to honor that, and I've got to stick with that, and I think Yeah, definitely right now, but I really think always people need hope. I think no matter what your situation, no matter what you're dealing with, you may be so happy in life, you're just rocking it, but but you're still going to need it or do need it. And you don't realize that everyone needs it. And, you know, I tell people that, that may call me or maybe they were recently diagnosed or a loved one or a friend, I say I am happy to talk to you. I will talk to you all day long, but, but your story is going to be your story. You know, you can talk to someone who was diagnosed with your exact type of cancer and they have the same doctor, the same, but it's, it's in a very weird way, like a pregnancy. You know, people get pregnant and they have a baby, but no story is the same. You know, maybe the way you got pregnant or your, how you felt or how the baby came. You know, it's, there's so many, everyone has a different story around that. So make it your own. And if you heard a story that didn't have a great ending or was pretty horrific, that is that person's story. Make it your own. Do this how you want to do it because you, you can do that. You know, that is your choice um, to try to do it your own way. And through that, maybe your ending is going to be a hell of a lot better. And that's where that hope comes in. Because you got to have hope to have, you know, the vision of a a successful outcome. Yeah. Wow.
0: That was really inspiring. (laughs) I like, I couldn't help but think when you're, you're talking about it, like, you know, life isn't a straight line. It has its ups and its downs and it's kind of the same thing. Like, you Mm -hmm. know, throughout life you do have hope and then it may waver and, and, like you were saying, you do have a choice, and you you do have mm-hmm. control of how how that outcome can be and what you can do with it. Not necessarily the outcome, but um,
1: right, right.
0: It, it, That's really great that you're you're teaching people this and you're reminding people of this. And yeah. sometimes that's what they people just need. Like they don't need mm-hmm. um, don't like they don't necessarily need to be told what to do. It's just like they just right. need to be reminded. Right. Like you know, like mm-hmm. you you write your own story, and and yeah. what can you do with this? X, Y, or Z, what's handed to you? Like,
1: right. Yeah. And even if it's, you know, even if it is not the outcome anyone wanted, Mm -hmm. I think then it's okay. Well then what, what is the legacy? You know, what did, you know, what is going to be remembered or said or, and I think that's kind of cool too, you know, and, and it's, it's hope that's not tied up in a pretty bow. That's like, oh, everyone's going to be great, you know. But it's just hope that it changes form. I think as as everyone goes through life and everyone's journey. But I think if you really think about it, you know, if you if you sort of strip down the layers, if if, if we really want to be here and be an active participant in life, and be vulnerable, because I think we have to be vulnerable to really. Um, get the most out of it all, then we have to have hope because if we're not hopeful, then we're not really putting ourselves out there. And if we're not really putting ourselves out there and really participating in life, I real I don't see the point, you know, you're not I, really you're not really living. Wow. Even if you have one day left on this earth, mm-hmm. you're still here. You know, you still put yourself there and you want it to count. You want it to be good as good as it could possibly be. Yeah. And that's hope. Yeah, 100%. You,
0: you touched on something a little bit ago, the legacy. And that's, mm-hmm. that's kind of like a little bullet point that I have written down. And I was, you know, the legacy of, of you and your journey. And what mm-hmm. do you think Riley Rose's legacy is?
1: I think that, I think that, I'm proud uh, I say writing this book mm-hmm. was honoring his life mm-hmm. because I think he was so much bigger than a dog or a story or he he was so much bigger and I think Riley I think his legacy will be love trust and forgiveness because those are the three things that I believe he chose to do when he came out of that corner and there was no reason for him to do any of that. He had every reason to stay in that corner. I would have stayed in that corner. And I think to just see a creature have the courage and to, 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 to try again, I think that that is his legacy. And I think Riley lived his life. I think people that were terrified of dogs, there were countless examples, but they were scared at first. He was a large dog, you know, Great Dane Lab Mix, 140 pounds at his happy weight. And they, it was whoa. But, but I can't think of a time that they didn't soften into him, you know, and there was one story that I haven't told this many times, but We were, um, we lived in Los Angeles. The kids and I used to go to Disneyland, you know, a couple times a year. And Riley became a service dog probably halfway through his life. So he would go with us. And we were standing in line one morning and waiting for the park to open. And we'd been standing there for about 20 or so minutes. And Rye was on the ground. And I was talking to the kids. I wasn't aware of anyone behind us. And I remember. Hearing these like choked sobs, and I turned around, and a mom was behind me, and she was covering her face. And her son, I looked down, had his whole body on top of Riley, and you know he was so large <laughs> yeah. that it, it was kind of fun. But this this boy was spread out on top of Riley, and I, which was absolutely fine. And I looked at the mom, and and she was so emotional, and she was just. Through tears, she said, My son is terrified of, of dogs, and he was um, severely autistic. And she said it was really something they'd been working on because it was the fear of animals, but it was a deeper fear and something that was causing a lot of anxiety in, in her son. Mm-hmm. And so she said, He's never even been in the same room with a dog, and it, it causes him so much anxiety. So to see him literally on top of this big dog, it meant everything to her. I tear up every time I say that oh story. Was, I just got goosebumps. It was, sick, but that <laughs> that was my That was just that dog. Uh, and so if I can if I can try to carry a shred of that on, just love, forgiveness, acceptance, trust, I am doing that dog right. Like I am, I am making him proud because um I've never, I've never, ever seen a creature that had that power like he did ever. He was a gift from God yeah. for sure. Yeah. I was going to say
0: real blessing. Like, oh, th- yeah, th- th- and the fact that y- you took the lessons that y- your relationship that he taught you mm-hmm. and you're, you're, you're teaching these lessons and you're living it and you're, you're carrying mm-hmm. on his life. And in his spirit, and I think that's a beautiful thing too. Like you're, you're not letting him die. Like he's, he's yeah. still here. You yeah, it's been three
1: years. Uh, yeah, three and a half. Three and a half. What a good boy. He's so beautiful. He was, oh, he was just. And I said the other day, I said to someone, I said, "I said, do you miss him?" And I said, "It's. I don't. I'm to the point where I don't miss him, but I just feel him." Like, I just feel him so strongly, and I tear every time I talk about him. And if they're not sad tears, they're just, um, it's just because I just feel him so strongly. Yeah. And so, I guess it's like I can't miss him because he's so he's there, so yeah, so there, yeah. hundred
0: yeah, 100%. I love that. So, what's next for you? Like, you. I know quarantine is kind of weird right now. Are you doing any speaking engagements? Are you writing more? Yeah, I'm doing a feed virtual,
1: which is is fun. You know, I think we've all had to adjust a little bit with the virtual. But um, yes, definitely doing those. And then the book Um, is in the process of publishing. So that's very exciting. And um, it's, you know, I think back to what I was saying earlier, I think, life would be a lot easier if I had a plan and a calendar and actually could write stuff out, but I just just don't. And I, it's the weirdest. And so I I don't know what's next. I think, uh, it's a scary, but also really cool way to, to live again, shocks me because it's never been me to kind of just trust that what's going to come comes and what's meant to be happens. And, and, um, I, I kind of live that way. So I don't, I don't know what's next, It's but it'll be good. Yeah. Be yeah. Good.
0: Well, I'm really yeah. excited for your book. I can't wait to read it. So mm-hmm. I'm looking forward to it. I was, I was looking for it and I was like, maybe it's not
1: out yet. <laughs> not quite yet. Not quite yet. I'll let I'm you know. Excited. I, I,
0: I love, I love nonfiction. I love to read, especially yeah. memoirs and, 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 yeah. It almost, I know like it's a fiction book, but um, the art of racing in the rain oh, about, yeah. oh my God, anything right. about dogs, just, I
1: know, I know I'm going
0: to cry, but I'm no. really excited to read your book.
1: Uh, so <laughs> no, thank, you. Yeah, thank
0: yeah. you. Well, is, is there anything else you would like to add? Like, I feel like this is a good, a good part to ask
1: how we can find you, your website, Instagram. Yeah. I mean, I think, yeah, you can go to, um, it's dear Same thing for Instagram. Um, I think Facebook is the same and I'm always happy to talk to anybody or, um, you know, if, if I can be of any help, any, any service, I'm always here. Truly, truly.
0: Well, you're, you're so amazing. And thank you for sharing this story with me and, and your thoughts and, and just how you evolved with it and, to be able to come out the other side with your outlook and in the light that you have inside of you is it's truly it's beautiful and unique and for you to be able to help impact others lives and give them hope is really inspirational so I, I really I really do appreciate you spending time with
1: me like I feel like
0: oh my god how did I get you
1: <laughs> oh my gosh no I mean, it's a gift me whenever I'm able to do this it is truly a gift for me because this is a, uh, um, like I said, it's honoring what I, Riley, and what I've been through, my family. It's, it's just honoring it. And hopefully, um, you know, it, 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 hopefully it touches someone and, and, but it really is, it's a gift for me. So I appreciate it.
0: Absolutely. Well, I, I hope to, be able to have you on again at some point, maybe after the book. I would love that. I yeah, would I'm love
1: right. that.
0: Yay. Good. Okay. Well, I, I really appreciate you taking the time out of your, your afternoon and craziness of being at home. I saw, I saw a couple, uh, a beautiful lab walking behind you. So
1: oh, be able to go play with him. Get on. He is such a little ham. No, little ham. He's beautiful. So, yes. Yeah, is Yes. He. He? He he's our big hundred pound lab. Oh, and, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> we have um, yes, and then our little bag. So. Oh, Well, yeah. oh, I hope yeah. he recovers
0: well too and he can breathe better and play with the lab. <laughs>
1: thank you yeah he's now at my feet you on a bim uh,
0: <laughs> I heard him snoring at, him. at it one point adorable. I thought no no it's to right <laughs> yes, that's what that noise was it was not yeah, a pig yeah a pig. Well, <laughs> yeah I'll make sure to preface. I'll be like there's a cute little pug sleeping <laughs> oh, absolutely oh yes, yes. sweet boy thank well you. enjoy the rest of your day thank you so you much you too um, I so loved this i love oh, to do I it
1: again. Too. Okay, great. I loved it. So much
0: fun. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, I'll be in touch and um, I will let you know when I officially post it, but I think it's going to be the third Monday in September the 21st. Perfect. I think. Okay. Okay. Mm-hmm.
1: So, um, yeah. Thank you. Thank you. All right. Let's Bye. keep in
0: touch. Okay. Absolutely. Absolutely. We'll okay. talk soon. Okay. Bye. Bye. Thanks again for joining me for this episode of My Cancer Story Podcast. I hope you enjoyed it. I know I did. Please join me again early October. I will be posting my newest episode for the podcast. You can subscribe to wherever you listen listen to podcasts. Also, you can go to my website. It's www.mycancerstorypodcast.com. There, there's a little bit more about me. I'm slowly building the site. So be on the lookout for new additions there. You can also submit a form to share your cancer story with me. And once again, I hope everyone has a safe and healthy rest of your week. Thank you again for joining me on my cancer story podcast.